welcome to the Worldwide Friends podcast. Uh, this is our first episode, and with me today, I've got my friend Tim Bryant. Tim, how are you today? Good morning, very well, sir. Uh, good evening from Lisbon, Portugal. Indeed, and um, just to uh, start our podcast, we think we'd uh, just explain that this is a podcast for old friends with some new friends to talk about um, issues that are, that are important, um, but also um, arts and culture and that kind of thing. So, uh, Tim, Tim, um, just explain um, our relationship and uh, the kind of things we'll be talking about in this pod and, and future pods. So, yeah, for the listeners, me and Paul met uh, 21, 22 years ago at the University of Wales in Swansea, and we've maintained an international friendship since then. And the idea is to talk together and with a lot of other old friends scattered throughout the globe about a lot of culture, literature, politics, and some nostalgia and reminiscences, whatever comes across our minds. Yep, that's that's us. Um, and um, yeah, today we're actually going to be talking about literature. Um, so a novelist uh, that, uh, that we're both quite keen on, but on, on other occasions we might talk about um, sort of issues that are happening at that time, including uh, current events and news. Uh, we may talk about film and, and other, other bits and pieces like that. Um, but yeah, let's uh, just before we get there, let's sort of explain uh, the context. Uh, we're, we're both in our 40s now. And um, when we met, it was the it was the late 90s. Uh, can you just describe what that period of, uh, of time was like for you as, a, as an 18, 19 year old moving to Swansea in South Wales to uh, to start your university life, Tim? Yeah, as, as a youth, a young man, uh, it was my first real big travel experience. And I, I've done a hell of a lot more since then, as of you. But yeah, it was incredibly exciting. And also, the time did seem somewhat simpler. It was uh, the new Labour, Clinton. Uh, we didn't have the kind of extremism or post-truth that seems to infect the world today. Uh, but yeah, was that just because we were in our halcyon days as students? Yeah, that's something we need to really talk about a lot. We are quite 90s focused, I guess. Indeed, I've um, I was I was with my family this weekend, and while waiting for uh, things to happen, I started putting on some some old music videos, a bit of Chemical Brothers, a bit of DJ Shadow, oh, yeah. and these sort of things. And it's like when you're young, you always talk about how your parents only really liked the things from the 1960s and 70s when they were young, and it's like, wow, is this just a a pattern that everyone repeats? Um, you know, has there been good music since then? Of course there has, but uh, clearly when you've got more time to, you know, engage in it more fully, that's the uh, the time you're going to really uh, have the memories and the love for the music and, and what's going on at that time. So uh, with film, it's a bit different. I still see a lot of movies these days and uh, a lot of good stuff, but um, with music, maybe it's just linked to that time in your life. But yeah, in future pods, we'll, we'll talk about this because I think it's quite a, an interesting thing to, to to talk about, you know, the transition between those carefree days yeah. to, to being more responsible. And the best music Ex and film since those days and how they compare. But yeah, that's for another day, my friend. Yes, absolutely. And we will be introducing other people. So it's not just uh, Tim and Paul every week. <laughs> OK, um, the yeah, we're going to talk about a gentleman writer from Japan today, Haruki Murakami. Um, he's just turned 70. Uh, I've been reading his books um, for at least sort of 15 years, Tim, a little bit longer. Um, Tim, what, Tom introduced Haruki Murakami um, and uh, tell us a little bit about him. 
So yeah, he's possibly the most successful modern Japanese writer. He's quite, got quite a large body of work. Uh, and he's an interesting case because he's a mixture of being very Japanese, but also very Western. I mean, he used to own a, a jazz bar in Tokyo called Peter Cat. And uh, he writes extensively about quite Western stuff. I mean, the, the beverage of choice is whiskey and not sake his protagonists and they talk about jazz and opera but yeah he's very much a surrealist writer magical realism very bizarre event events unfold in all of his narratives and yeah he is just an incredible phenomenon if you haven't read him i really recommend doing so yesterday yeah absolutely um, i've just got a little bit of a list of some of his his novels um i haven't read absolutely everything but i've read a good portion of them he's one of those authors that for me you can get a bit obsessed with uh, because uh, the style's so interesting. Um, we've got Hear the Wing Sing and Pinball, which actually yeah, I've you, read quite recently. You've read both of those. He, I know that he didn't really want to have those published in English because he thought he wasn't quite hitting his stride yet. Like, this is the third one, wasn't it, that he really took off? I think you were talking about that recently. Wild Sheep Chase was the big breakthrough. Yeah, it was. I mean, Hear the Wind, Sing and Pinball are very interesting. They come in one volume together and they, they really are when he's a young man. But it is magical realism going on. It's He's, he's living his normal life and then all some very strange supernatural things start to happen to him. Um, I enjoyed them, actually. But yeah, The Wild Sheep Chase was one of his big novels in 1982, um, set up in the mountains in Hokkaido, where some of his other, other books uh, seem to end up as well. Um, Dance, Dance, Dance was the sequel in a yeah, way to that. Yeah, absolutely. And then we had Norwegian Wood. And for people that aren't so far much into the kind of weird part of Murakami, Norwegian Wood's more about his him growing up in 1960s um, Tokyo with his love of, of the Beatles and that sort of thing. And then really, since sort of the late 90s, we've got the Wind Up Bird Chronicle, Kafka on the Shore, IQ84, and then this uh, last year, Killing Commendator, which are fully into this magical realism world um do you think yeah he seems to uh, strength to strength yeah absolutely um i mean i was talking to someone the other day who was actually saying that they think his stuff's got a bit silly but i'm not sure whether that's due to his changing his writing or it's just they're not into the style anymore because magical realism is something that i think some people love and some people don't i like it a lot i don't like pure fantasy as much uh, where the entire world is completely fantastical in another yeah. universe. It's almost like, what's the um, point? If anything can happen, then there need, there need to be some rules and a lot of blended with a lot of blending with reality, which Murakami does, with a lot of realist detail combined with the supernatural weirdness. Indeed, yeah. I, I like the fact that it's, it's a normal life, but then really odd things start to happen, often involving um, discovering strange things, meeting strange people. And you, what you find is that um, the imagination is just uh, in, in the minds of the, the, the character. But then all of a sudden, bang, the thing they were thinking of creating becomes a real thing and often a, th a threatening thing in the novel, including so some of the characters. Um, so, yeah, I was going to. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to speak, speak about the, the latest novel but before I do, Tim. Was there any particular uh, one of his uh, novels you'd like to talk about? Uh, no, no, let's go into Killing. And I think the title, having revisited this, must be Killing Commentatore, because it's Italian. So, like, I think they hit the R, the E at the end. Yeah, absolutely. Well, 
the, this particular yeah this particular novel there's the, the the name's actually based upon a painting that appears at one stage in the uh, in the novel and, and in this painting is a scene from the opera Don Giovanni uh, where the uh, commandatore as you say gets uh, gets killed um, however it's painted by a Japanese painter and there's a lot more to it than just being a reproduction of the opera but uh, yeah the, the novel that, that came out last year is uh, got an unnamed 36 year old portrait painter I think he's quite a talented artist but to make to make ends meet he, he does portraits of uh, you know corporate um, CEOs and people like that and I like a lot of his yeah, corporate portraiture. So yeah, it goes up on the wall in the in the reception or in the in the office, and uh, obviously it's a good way of making money for artists, um, where you know otherwise it's a bit of a struggle. So he, um, what he does, what he ends up doing is, um, like in many novels, getting he gets uh, separated from his wife. Um, quite a few of his characters seem to end up or start the novel with uh, with his with their partners breaking up with him. Nearly all his characters, apart from a few, are male. And um, he moves away, drives around the countryside for, for many, many weeks and uh, sleeps in his car or in motels and then ends up uh, staying at his old friend's father's art studio and house uh, up in the hills above, um, way out of Tokyo. And um, he, he starts just living a normal, quiet life as his characters do. But then all of a sudden strange things start to happen. A bell is heard. He just finds to find where the bell is ringing from in the night and then he finds a shrine and then behind that a, uh, a, a rubble of stones, which uh, he, uh, with the help of a character, ends up digging up. Obviously, I don't want to give you any plot spoilers, mm-hmm. but uh, once the actual uh, bell is actually found in this pit, strange things start to happen. And this is where the mixture of his painting um, and also the things that he's found start, start to link together. And he starts to find fantastical characters who are certainly not human, um, not um, in any way based in reality, but are talking to him. Ideas and metaphors are the words that they use, yeah. Absolutely. So this is where the uh, commendatore or a version of it comes out into the world. So I think if you you like the idea of, of, of novels where a reality that seems mundane is all of a sudden interrupted by something strange and fantastical. Um, Killing Commandatore is, is, is a very, very good novel. Yeah. And, and it's got it's a lot of links. The painting links into his reality. So the guy's come out of the painting. So it's extremely postmodern. And I, I think I'd just like to point out, that was a really good summary, by the way, that uh, there's a definite similarity with the American filmmaker David Lynch and that sense of surrealism overtaking the lives of the characters, like uh, very bizarre events happen in quite a realist context, and that we as the reader are just drawn along. It's just phenomenal uh, magical realism. Absolutely, yeah, and and it, and it reminds me of books like The Wind-Up Bird Chronicle, which is, uh, you know, several years earlier, where the character, again, is at home, a bit of a solitary existence, and all of a sudden um, the importance of... Uh, of having a pit <laughs> where once down into the pit in the in the back garden strange things start to happen yeah he goes um, looking for his governor's cat i believe and cats run through the whole of murakami's world there's a surreal cat town that other characters go to in iq84 which is probably my favorite one yeah back to the wind-up bird yeah going into the well and this leads to a lot of transitions and sort of flashbacks into history but i mean it may sound very bizarre but it is incredible 
incredibly well structured, uh, quite believable. The, these lone male protagonists sit around cooking pasta whilst listening to jazz, and then uh, stuff happens. But IQ84 begins with such a fascinating premise where this woman is in a hurry to get to a business meeting uh, in Tokyo on the highway. And uh, the, the taxi driver says, well, you know, we're not going to make it unless there's one way we could go. We could take this road, but it would mean you climbing down a ladder uh, manually. You know, I can't take you to the address myself. But if you do that, nothing will ever be the same again. She enters into another world where there are two moon, moons, an alternative, 1984. I think that's my favorite. What would be your favorite? Do you have a personal greatest one? Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking it's Kafka on the Shore. Kafka on the Shore um, has uh, Kafka, who's a young 15-year-old boy who's escaping his family for some reason, ends up in a library. And then there's another character who was during World War II, um, lost quite a lot of abilities when he was in a mushroom field and all the kids collapse. And uh, he goes and rescues cats, again, the cat theme. Um, these two characters have quite a lot of um, sort of crossover, but yet you have two separate stories running through it. So, yeah, I'd recommend Kafka on the Shore. I'd recommend uh, Dance, Dance, Dance. I'd recommend A yeah, Wild yeah. Sheep Chase. And IQ84 is, is phenomenal also, yes. Mm, it's the yeah. one set during the bubble. It really captures the bubble. The 80s in Japan where they're drinking coffee with gold flakes in it. And uh, it's maybe, yeah, the most accessible uh, suspenseful one of them it's a bit shorter but yeah they're they're all really worth reading and we can't stress that enough okay we're going to um we're going to sort of wrap that up now but i think we'll um talk a little bit about um something just a bit contemporary at the end of our podcast um so um tim you're in portugal at the moment you're in europe what's the uh what's what's the thing that's going on in in, uh, in your area of the world at the moment yeah we're just Boringly, on a personal note, I've come back to Lisbon, Portugal from Madrid, where I live these days, it's a, just to tie off some stuff. And it's a lot warmer here. I love Madrid with all my heart, but we do have a pretty harsh winter going on there. Yeah, in Europe, I mean, people, it's just very boring with the Brexit. You must be watching it from afar. The thing never seems to end. And it, yeah, it seems to be extremely uh, contagious, contentious and misguided. And also, yeah, I've seen today, this Saturday, there are more gilets jaunes protests going on more violence happening in paris so but yeah the eu seems to be holding together uh but yeah interesting times may maybe we live in interesting times but it's concerning indeed i should say that i'm i'm in i'm in titahi bay which is a small community on the beach near uh, near wellington in new zealand um we are in the height of our summit it's always the nicest part in february that makes everyone in the northern hemisphere a bit jealous for you know six months yeah. at least and um, yeah, we've got our female Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern, who must be only turning 38 at the moment. She's uh, she's quite an inspirational lady who's who's had a baby quite early into her term, and she's um, she, she's giving good leadership to New Zealand. That's that's that's, that's new, and um, we'll we'll see how that goes. Uh, we've been having some but forest fires. Yeah, forest I think fire. so. 38. Yeah. yeah. Is there a limit? Yeah. I think in America you can't. There are no limits, but it's frowned upon for like a first term congressperson to run for the presidency. I know in the Philippines, you have to be over 40. Like uh, the boxer Manny Pakeha is considering going from senator to president now that he's over 40. Right. I'm pretty sure in, in the America. US, you have to be 40 to be president now. You do? Yeah, okay. that is, yeah, that is actually written in, yeah. But no, they don't have that yeah. sort of thing in the UK. I think uh, back in the day, you had Pitt the Younger in the UK, who was in his 20s. and. Mm -hmm. uh, 
people did, people didn't used to live as live as long anyway. So yeah, they were an old man by the time they were fourteen. Maybe that's what they wanted. But yeah, we've had I'm forest fires in Nelson. Bit the younger, yeah. bit the young, bit the embryo. <laughs> that's the black adder, yeah. Yeah, the forest fires in Nelson. We do. We had forest fires in Christchurch where it got very dry a few years ago. We've got some forest fires in Nelson at the moment. So good luck Climate to all the people up there. Yeah, it, it you know it gets very dry. The, the grass on the hillside around here is yellow. So uh, yeah, that's what's what's going on here at the moment. We uh, had people, was yeah. in Portugal here two years ago also. Yeah, like there were fifty fatalities in the in central Portugal. That was mm. twenty seventeen. So yeah, it's a it's a real concern. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, well, we are getting to climate change. Is it linked? Who knows? But I mean, th- these things happen and, and need to be dealt with. And uh, there's lots of brave people doing that, so it's great. Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll get Ian on the episode about climate yeah. change. He's very versed in that stuff. Indeed, yes. Uh, one of our other um, worldwide friends, Ian, may be available in the coming weeks to talk yeah, a little bit about that. He's DC. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, uh, thank you everyone for uh, tuning into our first podcast. Um, we will be back in future podcasts. And uh, yep, um, good luck um, with all you do in Lisbon and Spain this week. And uh, thank you, Brian. Okay, and much looking forward to the next one. Have a have a really good day over there, and let's talk soon.